welcome to the layman's channel. Uh, my name's Martin and I'll be once again conducting the Bible study today um, where we're going to look at another uh, of the times where Jesus said, I am. And uh, I'll get into it a little bit more a little bit later. Uh, but first, if uh, you're new to the channel, then welcome. Um, if you're an old faithful or an old contemptible, then uh, welcome back. And um, I do pray that you are finding these studies that we've been doing um, over these last ooh, four or five months now of value. And if you do, then I'd appreciate it very much if you haven't subscribed, that you would subscribe and that you would uh, like and share these videos as well as comment below, um, especially if you, you have a, a contrary view, um, because I, I, I believe that you should be able to think for yourself and look at the scriptures for yourself and then do the study for yourself and not have to come to, uh, to, to me to rely on the things that I say because I'm just a man and I'm fallible. So um, before we uh, um, do this week's study then um, let's have a word of prayer. Father we want to thank you for your word. Thank you Lord God that your word is truth, that your word is life and light. And Lord God we want to thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path that your word guides us, Lord God, on the paths of righteousness. But Lord, that your word even guides us through the valley of the shadow of death. And Lord, I want to thank you that, Lord, that you have been faithful, Lord God, to the promises in your word. You have been faithful to fulfill your word. And Lord, I want to thank you, Lord God, for all the times that you've blessed each and every one who is watching and listening to this by your word. And Lord, I pray that that may continue. Lord, that whatever we speak about on these Bible studies would not just be about head knowledge and uh, some more things that we can tick off uh, to say that we've done or we've studied. But Lord God, that we may do this for your glory and Lord God, for our benefit. But Lord, that you may speak to us spirit to spirit and heart to heart, Lord God, that you may use our intellect, but Lord, in a way, bypass our brain, Lord God, and sink this right down into our hearts. But Lord, that we can understand from a spiritual perspective what you are saying. And Lord, I want to thank you that once again, Lord, that uh, you have promised to anoint my lips to enhance and build up the kingdom of God. So Lord, may you do that again today, Lord, as we look at this subject of the I am's of Jesus. And Lord, I surrender myself to you. I want to thank you that you have promised to use me as a conduit. So Lord, as I yield my lips to you, I pray that you would do that, that you would flow through me in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our studies of the times in the New Testament where Jesus said, I am. Uh, last week, we had a look at the time Jesus said, I am the gate. We saw that Jesus proclaimed himself to be the only way to come in and out of the sheepfold. And because of this, we can understand why Peter could say with such confidence before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which a man must be saved. We also established that the, uh, the sheepfolds that we were looking at in uh, John chapter 10 that there were two and the first sheepfold the good shepherd brought us out of was the sheepfold of the world and the second sheepfold was the kingdom of God. We also touched on who I believe the gatekeeper was namely the Holy Spirit 
for it is he that convicts us of sin, thus enabling the Good Shepherd to rescue us from the worldly sheepfold, but it is also the Holy Spirit that seals us into the sheepfold of Christ's kingdom too. And because of that, because of his sealing, then we can come and go from that sheepfold at the Good Shepherd's bidding. Today, I'd like to further our studies into the I Ams of Jesus by looking at Jesus saying in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. The context of this verbal exchange Jesus had with the crowd following him was that the day before he just made sure that they'd had plenty to eat. This took place on the other side of the Sea of Galilee to where the following exchange took place. After he'd fed them he then took an evening stroll across the Sea of Galilee walking on the waters while his disciples took the uh, more traditional way of crossing the sea by boat. The following morning, wondering where Jesus was when they awoke, the crowd all also got into boats and made the trip across the lake to search him out. So with that in mind, uh, let's read from the book of John, and I'm reading from uh, chapter 6, verses 25 to 35, and then verse 51. Let's read. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then the crowd asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? They, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I've told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Sorry, I went down to verse 37 there. And verse 51 says, I am the li living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. 
Um, I think that the first thing that we must recognise as we read these scriptures is that what Jesus is saying here was very controversial to the people who were listening. We also must remember that these people that Jesus was conversing with weren't your ordinary men or women who just wanted to see or receive a miracle or even hear Jesus speak. No, these, these people were followers of him and who had been with him for a while, who'd heard him speak on many occasions and who'd seen him perform many miracles, including the previous day when he fed the 5,000. What Jesus said to them here was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Verse 66 of John 6 says this, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So what got these people so upset and confused? In verses 53 to 58, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Looking back with hindsight, we Christians understand that Jesus was looking forward to the time we commemorate and remember his death upon the cross with the emblems of communion, namely the bread and the wine. Now, I am not a proponent of transubstantiation, where the bread and wine are supposed to change into the actual body and blood of Jesus. To be frank, I find that quite absurd. And immediately puts us in, into the same category as those who did not understand what Jesus was saying here in John chapter 6. They thought Jesus meant that we were to effectively cannibalise his body. They couldn't get it into their heads and they couldn't understand the symbology and the deeper meaning of what Jesus was saying. So they, had, so they ran away. I'm sure the other disciples were challenged too. But when Jesus addressed them, Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. With all that in mind, then what was Jesus alluding to when he said, I am the bread of life? To be honest, I think there might be several meanings we can glean from the words of Jesus here. But firstly, let's look at the last thing Jesus said about bread in this chapter. He said this, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. 
Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He likens himself to the manna which, with which the Lord fed the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness. Every morning when the Israelites awakened from their sleep, they would go outside and pick up enough manna to last them for the day, and then twice the amount on the day before the Sabbath. You can read all about that in Exodus and chapter 16. So what's the equivalent of manna to a Christian? Um, I think it might just be the word of God. Remember when Jesus also went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? And when he was hungry, the tempter challenged him to turn stones into bread. And Jesus replied in Matthew 4 and verse 4, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus here was quoting Moses, who wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out and from the mouth of the Lord. With those scriptures in mind, we can also understand what John meant when he wrote in his gospel in John 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Everything God ever said is wrapped up and sealed in Christ Jesus. That's why I've said before in previous videos that the Bible from Genesis 1 and verse 1 to Revelation 22 and verse 21 is all about Jesus, the word of God. The next thing we need to look at about Jesus being the bread of life is all tied up in the tabernacle and temple worship of the Israelites. God commanded Moses to make a table and place it in the holy place. You can read all about that in Exodus chapter 25. On that table, he was told to present 12 loaves of, or cakes of bread, which were called the shoe bread. These loaves were placed there to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel. These would be to renewed once a week and served as a permanent reminder of the constant communion and fellowship the Israelites had with God and he had with them. They were also symbols of them being accepted by God. In the same way, Jesus stands eternally before God on our behalf as a constant reminder of our acceptance to God through him and in him. And that through him we can have fellowship and communion with God. Jesus stands there not just representing Israel, he, he is also representing all of us Gentile believers who have put their trust in him for our salvation. Romans 8 and verse 34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is our showbread. Back to the temple worship. 
The loaves of bread placed before the Lord were also to be anointed with oil in the middle of them. A guy called Alfred Edersheim says in the book The Temple, Its Ministry and Services, the loaves were anointed in the middle with oil in the form of a cross. Now, he writes from the perspective of Jewish history, so I cannot verify what he writes with any references in the scriptures. But as an aside, I find that very interesting and very exciting that the priests would choose to anoint the loaves with the oil, uh, with the oil in the shape of the cross. If it's true, then that also reminds us that it is only through the cross that we can truly partake of the bread of life. And it's only through the cross that we can maintain fellowship and communion with God. I'm going to leave that one for you to ponder. The Bible does not make it clear whether these loaves of bread were made from leavened or unleavened bread. The word used in Hebrew is lechem, which just means bread. If they were only to be made of unleavened bread, then the writer would have specifically used the word matzah, as he does in Exodus 12, when the Israelites were commanded to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread at Passover. The website hopeofisrael.org says, Due to the fact that the scriptures nowhere indicate which was to be used, could it be that either kind of bread could be used, as far as God is concerned? But the type of bread used depicted the type of sorry, but the, the type of bread that were used depicted the type of relationship or condition Israel was in the time that that particular type of bread was used. It is said that whatever bread the priests baked and put on display was dependent upon the state of Israel as they stood before God. If they were in good standing with him, then out of the abundance of his provision for them, they would bake leavened bread to place upon the table. Once again, the website hopeofisrael.org says this, the yeast changes the nature of the ground flour into a wonderful, delicious product, appealing to God and to man. This is a type of how God's Holy Spirit changes our human nature into his divine and holy God nature. Furthermore, the showbread was a picture of the prosperity that the Lord would bless his people with, and delicious leavened loaves of bread picture prosperity. Then again, if the Israelites were not in good standing with God, then out of their lack, they would only bake unleavened bread to place before him. When God told Moses what to do at the Feast of Unleavened Bread at Passover, he said this in Deuteronomy 16 and verse 3. Do not eat it, that's the Passover lamb, with bread made with yeast. But for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. Because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you rem remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Bearing that in mind, we can see that unleavened bread is associated with affliction. That's why when I take communion, I prefer to receive unleavened bread than leavened. For it reminds me of the suffering and affliction Jesus went through 
upon the cross for my sins. Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is the bread of life. And when we partake of communion, we remember that. We remember his sacrifice for us. And we remember that because his body was broken, we can be healed. And we can re remember that because his blood was shed, we can be set free from the power of sin. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about bread and its association with Jesus being the bread of life. But the most important thing to know is that the Lord Jesus Christ is now standing before God as our showbread. And because of his sacrifice upon the cross, we who believe are now in good standing before God. But because of his presence, those scars upon his hands, upon his brow, upon his side and his feet, the whip marks upon him bear the anointing of the cross. I'm going to leave it there. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God make his, mace, his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.